being shared in a couple of words as well. Um, it's exactly what's been uh, what's been on our hearts, and I think God's helping to clue us in on some of these things. I want all of us to first today, before we get back to Genesis, before we get back to Goshen, the subject of Goshen, I want you guys to look at Malachi chapter 4 with me. Going back to the very DNA, the very foundation of what God has been doing in this land through our church. And when, when, and when I say through our church, I'm meaning through you, yeah. right? We know that our church is not our property. We know that our church is not simply uh, stuff and people, or, I'm sorry, stuff and buildings and walls. It's, it's the body. It's each one of you working all together. You guys in Malachi 4? Well, I told you the wrong scripture. Look at Micah 4. Sorry. <laughs> Just a few chapters back. You'll make it. Look at verses 5 through 7 with me. It says, through all the, Though all the peoples walk each in the name of his God, as for us, we will walk in, in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather the outcasts, even those whom I have afflicted. I will make the, the lame a remnant and the outcasts a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now and forever. Amen. Church, this is, a, this is a passage that sent uh, the Hutchinson family from one place to here. This is a passage that God has been prophesying among um, other people and the One Association and that started a lot of the work that we are now benefiting from and living within right now and here today. It also has everything to do with our mission and our vision and all of our goals and everything that God has been speaking to us and, uh, as, as far as it's concerned with like giving us direction, right? We want to see the lame, the broken, the weary, the outcast, the, all of these people gathered together in the name of Jesus right here in our land. And I also believe that in some ways we've been a little snake bitten since we've been together here in the land. We were called to be a solution to these things, right? We're called to bring together those who are broken and downcast in their hearts, to bring together those who, who's, as it was said today, whose hearts are broken from bottom to top, right? And you're not, it's, it's broken and it's not capable of loving the way that it's intended to, and it requires that we are brought near to him. That's why I want us to go back to a land called Drawing Near in Goshen, Okay, so everybody turn with me back to Genesis 47 today. We're going to stay most of, the, most of the morning today in Genesis chapter 47. Say Goshen when you get there. quiet this morning Come on! <laughs> except for De Devin's not <laughs> amen 
<laughs> That's true. The dude drank like th four or five shots of espresso earlier. Now that you guys are here, there in Genesis chapter 47, say, let's go, Shin. Let's go, Shin. This is a well-timed message today because we are not those who we are reading there in Micah chapter 4. We are those who are bringing life and salvation and glory and presenting it to those who are the weary, broken outcast. Amen? Y'all in Genesis chapter 47? I want to I reset the stage because some of you were not here last week, and I know we had a huge overview of four or five chapters of Genesis last week. So look at verse 1 with me while I remind you of a few details here. That's going to help set the stage for you. Verse 1, it says, Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all they have have come out of the land of Canaan. And behold, they are in the land of Goshen. We're no longer talking about right now today, church, of, come, of learning to recognize Goshen, learning to arrive at Goshen. In reality, you and I have been living in it. Most of you in this room have been living in it for years. We were taken out of a place of famine. We were placed into a a land that also had famine, but yet not one of us have, have starved in these last years or months that we've been together, right? So I'd say we're in Goshen, whether you recognize it or not, whether you have been living in the joy of Goshen or not, we've all been living in it this entire time. And so we're not talking about arriving at it today. You are in it. Say, I am in Goshen. And then today's title of the message come on Judah say let's Goshen guys this is a mentality it's a lifestyle it's a heart posture that we will walk in in this church because there is nothing less allowed in the kingdom of God it says he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh then Pharaoh said to his to uh, the brothers of Joseph, what is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. They didn't come to Egypt for Egypt. They didn't come to uh, this land because they thought it was theirs. It's not theirs. It wasn't theirs. But it now is because they came to you, Joseph. It says in verse 6, The land of Egypt is at your disposal, Joseph. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Say the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen, and if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock too, says Pharaoh. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Listen to this next part, in case you forgot from last week. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? 
So Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. Nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. Do you know that you can still be the people of God, the chosen, set apart, anointed people of God, and be able to bless someone and look and sound completely miserable at the same time? How much did it really bless Pharaoh? How much did that really bless Pharaoh, Jacob's posture, his attitude? This is the man of such an anointed people, so much so that God has favor on them in a way that, from Pharaoh's perspective, this man standing next to me who I've put in authority over all of my land, over everything that is mine. His name's Joseph, and he was a stranger that was found in slavery and was in one of my prisons, and now he's leading and overseeing my entire kingdom with me. And he's saying this is his family. So these must, this must be the most God-ordained, anointed family on the face of the planet. And the guy comes up, and he's like, yeah, I've only lived 130 years, and it's, it's been terrible every step of the way. And I've never added up to be anything like my dad or my grandpa or anybody before me. But bless you. In the name of my God, bless you. I know it's easy to look at this right here. Right here in Genesis chapter 47 and be like, Jacob, what's wrong with you? Church, we are living in a land that, as we've reminded you many times before, and I've lived here for, how long have we been here? Seven years, eight years now? We've, been, we've heard it so many times. This is a land where ministries go to die, where ministers of the gospel go to die. It's the graveyard of ministries. It's what it's called. And the, God in his goodness has just opened up our eyes and allowed us to see some of the depths of the things that we've not understood, why, why there was such a joy, why there's such a fire in us. And then all of a sudden, we're getting tired. We're getting weary. We're not sleeping at night like we used to. We're frustrated. We're worn out. Worn out. So whenever we go to bless someone, and they're like, give me the testimony of your life, of your years. And you're like, it's hard. And that's with Pharaoh. What about whenever you meet other sons? And, and the whole way that you end up relating with them is, man, do, isn't it hard here in this land? Isn't it terrible? Don't they hate us here? Like, yeah, we knew what we were walking into whenever that happened. It shouldn't be a surprise, nor the thing that binds any of us together. So why, if our core as a church, being Micah chapter 4 and everything that God prophesied through the prophet Micah, does it say that, we are to, that he is drawing together the lame and, and, and to call them a remnant, but somehow it doesn't sound like they're lame anymore with the rest of that passage. And we'll get back to that today because we're going to change this mentality right now today. Y'all still with me in Genesis 47? 
It says in verse 10, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all of his father's household with food, even according to their little ones. It wasn't just mom and dad get fed and and maybe we can just stick our kids in a program and just watch them learn how to just go and get fed nothing and live on spiritual junk food and cartoons and everything else. No, like God fed every single one of them, even their children. They were all filled in a land of famine. Y'all remember that? Remember that the famine wasn't only in Canaan and the promised land. It, was, it started in Egypt. Look at verse 13. It says, now there was no food in all of the land. So how is it that they have plentiful food, even enough for their little ones? Guys. They, they didn't learn how to live on less. They didn't learn how to, to, to be like, oh, man, like, well, we've been boiling bones in the water and getting a little bit of protein and nutrients just to, get to, just to get a bone broth to get by. We've not been having to travel to another land because Egypt had the famine also. No, we're here in Egypt right now. And though we are looking forward to another land in the age to come, this land that I'm in right now, it looks like everyone's dying around me. Even some of you in this room today look like those who are dying. But that's not who you and who I have been called to be. As those who have been chosen by God, there is a life and an abundance that we live in, even though the whole world is perishing away. says there was no food in all the land. For, uh, verse 14, Joseph gathered all of the money that was found in the land of Egypt and Canaan. This dude wiped out two whole nations. He wiped out the wealth of the promised land and he wiped out the wealth of the world right there in Egypt and gathered it all. It's all his, every single bit of it. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Finally, when you have no money left in your bank account, God begins to start doing something. And you finally have an awareness enough to see what on earth is going on in your life. He will take every penny from your bank account just to take that prideful arrogance and self-sustaining attitude out of your life. He will take everything because he wants you to want to be near to him, not just to want to get, come and get fed every week. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt. Verse 16, then Joseph said, give up your livestock and I will give you food for your livestock since your money is gone. 
Give us your means of also generating more money. So all your money is gone. Now give me your means of generating more money. You don't have any money, and now you don't have anything to generate money with. It's all gone. You lose everything. This is starting to sound incredibly familiar with my life and a few others here in this room. It says, give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for all that, their livestock for that one year. Your sacrifice to purchase some, a, a good word from the Lord, your sacrifice to just get some, some progress through one year with the Lord, that's all it gets you. Because by the time the next year comes, you're looking for something new. You're hungry again, and, you're, and your storage is empty. So you're like, God, what's new this year? <laughs> when the year in verse 18 when that year was ended they came to him the next year and said to him we will not hide from my lord that our money is all spent and the cattle are my lord's too there is nothing left for my lord except our bodies and our lands why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. And we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed so that we may live and not die, and the land may not be desolate. Give us food Give us the bread for us eaters and the seed for us sowers. We need to produce more, and we need some right now, too. This, starts to, this is starting to sound just like a normal, charismatic church service right now. God, I lay myself down before you. I, Lord, just make me weep. Make me soften my heart again, God, just so I can get something good from you today. Just so I can take something good to go home and teach my family. Let me make myself pathetic in your sight. Let me not even humble myself, but degrade myself and beg you as if you have not already made it available to me. It just sounds like a normal American charismatic church service. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? They say, so Joseph bought, in verse 20, all of the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every Egyptian sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the, thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only, only the land of the priest he did not buy. For the priest had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off of the allotment which Pharaoh gave to them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. That is a whole different message. I'm not even ready to preach to you today, but that is, we'll get back to that someday. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. 
At the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for the seed of the field and for your food and food for your households and food for your little ones. Verse 25, so they said, you have saved our lives. You've saved me. You've saved me. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid even to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only, only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Church, the Egyptians were always the slaves from the start. In times of famine, it's always the world that comes and sells themselves out to make it another day, to make it another year. That's how they approach Joseph. It's how they approach Pharaoh. It's how they approach the govern, the, the, their local government. It's how they approach each other. It's how they approach the God of even these strange people that have wandered into their land and are somehow getting more favor than you, even though you've been struggling for it your whole life to get that same favor. These strange people come walking into your land. This strange family comes walking into my life. And there's a, a grace on Devin Hutchinson that I had been fighting my whole life to get to experience. There was a freedom in his heart and his posture and the way that he was able to, to cut loose just from the heaviness of the world and live in the freedom of Christ. And I had been working hard for that for years. It was confusing. And I felt like I had sold everything. I gave everything away. And so what became of it for me and even for many of you in this room is whenever we go out and we minister to those who are supposed to see some hope in us, supposed to see some life in us, what we ask of them and how we relate with them is, well, how miserable have you made yourself for Jesus? I've sacrificed this much. How much have you sacrificed? Where are your scars? Where's your misery at? Because that's what we relate on. This is an Egyptian mindset, not a sons of Israel mindset. The sons of Israel, though they did it at first and they came to exchange coin, they came to exchange coin for food. Just like what we've been doing in churches most of our lives. Go and pay our tithes and offerings and we get a good word in exchange and we make it another year and we come back over and over and over and exchange money for food, money for food, money for food, our whole lives. But this time, Joseph put their money back in their bags because he said it's yours by way of my favor. It's yours and you don't have to sacrifice anything to get it. You just get it because you're mine. This is something worth being excited about, being joyful about, about having a mentality switch, church, because there is a whole world living in darkness, just like what we read in Exodus 10 last week, that whenever all things hit the fan, as they say, in the whole world, should I, I don't think I should finish that, okay, yeah, um, and then when all of the cloud coverage comes over and the darkness is tangible as that plague of darkness came in the days of Moses, there were lights in each of the homes of Goshen. So why is it that we try to minister to people by way of relating 
to their darkness, relating to their slave-like mindset, relating to the posture of misery and being pathetic-minded and pathetic in your... Guys, this is just not what Jesus paid for. I've lived under the weight of this for too much of my life now, trying to earn the favor, trying to earn the excitement, to earn the promise that God had put over my life and earn the favor of men. And now that he has opened my eyes, I might have said it last week, but I feel like I can breathe again. And I've watched, now that he's given me a few weeks, maybe three, four, five weeks into, into this now, he's given me enough space to where I can look at each one of you and see the very same thing that I probably promoted in your life. This posture of frustration, this posture of, well, at least I sacrificed this much, and this is going to make me one of God's favorite. This is going to make him give me a good word because I came and paid more than you did. I've promoted this among you, just in the privacy of our friendships. And I repent for these things before God and before you today, but I can tell you right now, it wasn't done maliciously. But this is the snake bite. We've been snake bitten. I've been snake bitten. I was filled with his Holy Spirit against all theological odds of what I understood. Then where I was taught that was heresy. I understood that that was fake and it didn't even happen. Against all odds, he delivered me out of death, out of religiosity, into life. And then like a lamp that is lit and a bowl that is put over it, I covered myself up again because the fire wasn't enough. I had to control it and manipulate where it was going. Church, we weren't called to light a lamp and put a bowl over it. You were called to be lit up by the Holy Spirit and placed in the middle of the room so that everyone might have light, even like the houses in Goshen in Exodus chapter 10. Think about that for a minute. That's Goshen. Church, we have to fix this mentality. And today's message um, is like a little bit from me, but it's like mostly from Landon and Emily. They just let me preach it. And so I'm, I'm excited to show you guys this next thing here. Look at Joshua chapter 9 with me. I, yeah, Landon and Emily are helping to set me free. So, oh, oh yeah, rays of sunshine. Let's go, Shin. Oh, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. That wasn't choreographed either. Come on, give, give me a let's go. Let's go, Shin. Joshua chapter 9. Are you all there with me? Listen to this. Joshua chapter 9, verse 1 says, Now it came about when all of the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, and all the other tribes that don't matter because they got beat, so who cares, and that they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. When the inhabitants of Gibeon, say Gibeon, not to be mistaken with Gideon. Gideon is way cooler, and the Gideons are way cooler. Not the Gibeonites, though. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, 
they also acted craftily and set out envoys. Y'all, if you're not paying attention right now, pay very close attention right here. Because this is, this is going to mess you up, I promise. Whenever we were, just side note, whenever Kendall and I got to go on a little weekend trip with the Rays, and we did that tortilla challenge thing on, like, that you see like on social media, right? And there's this one video, if you haven't seen it already, you can check it on Kendall's Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And at one point, Emily swings with a tortilla, and Kendall ducks it. But little did Kendall know, as she was raising back up to set herself back up in posture, Emily comes back with a backhand tortilla <laughs> and smacks her so loud with this tortilla, you could hear it on a phone. Now, this is what today's message is going to be for you, because last week, if you dodged it, you're going to get smacked in the face today, because I'm going to demand your attention. Joshua 9, verse 4. Y'all get ready for the backhand tortilla. They also acted craftily and set out envoys and took worn out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended. Oh my gosh, it was said in worship that there was an image of a heart that had been torn and was attempted to be put back together. For you make an image of, well, I'm put back together, but we can all see the crack there. <laughs> yeah. Worn out and torn and mended. And worn out and patched sandals on their feet. And worn out clothes on themselves. And the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. We just heard worn out. One, two, three, four times we heard the word worn out. And then dry bread that had turned into croutons, which no one likes croutons. If you do, there's this, let this convict you today. I know you like croutons. I don't want to hear about it. They went to Joshua and came to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. Church, if, you, if you're not tracking with what's going on here, the next cities in line for the Joshua and the men of Israel to conquer are the cities, cities of the Gibeonites. They're the next ones in line. They just finished at Jericho. They just finished battling with Ai. Gibeonites are up next to get their butts kicked. And so the Gibeonites come and dress themselves up like weary travelers, those weary from the journey. Think Micah 4 right now. They dressed themselves up as those weary from the journey and came and presented themselves to Joshua and to the elders. They went to the camp at Gilgal where reproach was rolled away. They come to the cross to the feet of Jesus to where reproach was rolled away and say, we are just weary travelers. Will you make covenant with us? Oh my Lord, y'all ain't getting it yet. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, or to the Gibeonites, Perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? They're on top of it. These, aren't, these guys aren't dumb. They're like, this is something an enemy would do. An enemy would come and present themselves as a weary traveler like this. Maybe you're trying to trick us, they think. <laughs> He said, how then shall we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. 
Then Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. So our elders and our inhabitants of our, of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now then, make a covenant with us. This, our bread that we hold today, was warm when we took it for our provisions out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. And our sandals are worn out because, uh, I'm sorry, it says, but now behold, in verse 12, it is dry and has become crumbled. The, this food, I, I need what you have because this food that I used to get, it, it, it just doesn't cut it anymore. These wineskins which were filled which we filled were new, and behold, they are torn. And these, our clothes and our sandals, are worn out because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. It came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within their land. Then the sons of Israel set out and came to, the, to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chephirah, and Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. The sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. There are whole YouTube channels right now devoted by Reformed theologians to just grumbling at church leaders all over the planet for making friends with the world. But they did it too. They've done it too. You know why I know it? Because those same YouTube channels, those same speakers have not produced a good, healthy thing in their life and yet have made themselves profitable on the internet by criticizing and grumbling at other leaders. How is it that we have a whole community of people who think they're effective and make a lifestyle out of criticizing each other and then we have a whole population of people who were the original ones who really did actually compromise and no one is effective or fruitful across the whole board? Y'all pay attention to this. Verse 20, it says, um, verse 19, But all the leaders said to the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. We made, a, we made an oath with our, with our doctrines as a church, as a community of churches, as a denomination or whatever, that the, the grace of God has to include all of them. We got fooled, but we said it, so now we got to stick to it. Otherwise, there will be an up. Uh, uh, an upheaval of all the people in the land. It says, Then Joshua called to them and, sp and spoke to them. I'm sorry, verse 21. The leaders said to them, Let them live, so they become hewers of wood and draw those who draw water. 
for the whole congregation, just as the leaders had spoken to them. Then Joshua called for them and spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you, are, uh, when you are living within our land? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and you shall never cease being slaves. Both hewers of wood and those who draw water for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told your servants that the Lord your God, Say the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God, not my God, your God had commanded his servants, his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Therefore, we feared greatly for our lives because of you and have done this thing. Now, behold, we are in your hands. So do as it seems good and right in your sight to do to us. Thus he did to them and he delivered them from the hands of the sons of Israel. And they did not kill them. And finally, in verse 27, but Joshua made them that day hewers or those who cut down wood and those who draw water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place which he would choose. Church, that same mentality that we heard from the Egyptians in, chap- in Genesis chapter 47 that said, I will pay everything. I'll give you all my gold. I'll give you all my food. I'm sorry, all my livestock and a way of earning money. I'll give you my land and I'll give you my life and I'll give you my children and everything just to make it another year is the same mentality that we see right here in the Gibeonites. I'm bound for destruction, so I'm willing to come and make myself a slave to you. If only you would feed me for one more year. If only you'll keep me alive for one more year, even just three days. If, if you, as long as I get to live the three days between now and when you find out that I fooled you, that three days is just enough. We've been tricked as Western Christians, I believe, into believing that this mentality is acceptable within the church. That it is okay to come before your God, to come before Jesus himself and say, I'll just, I mean, I'll sit in the dirt quietly in the corner, God, I promise. Just let me, just, just, if you would just let me in the door, I promise I'll stay out of the way. I promise that all I'll do is the dirty work that nobody else wants to do. That's where we get things like being a janitor in the kingdom of God or being a doorkeeper in the house of God and all these types of things where we, where we honestly think, I don't have anything of value, therefore I need to take the dirtiest, lowliest positions in his kingdom to just kind of get in through the door because I don't look as or feel as anointed as maybe some of the other people around me. Those who presented themselves as weary here in Joshua chapter 9 had ulterior motives at the place where reproach was rolled away. People coming and calling themselves servants of Joshua, servants of Yeshua. They come and call themselves servants of Yeshua, but they are not able to relate that this God of Yeshua, the Father in heaven of Yahshua or Yeshua is their God. The, we have heard of the fame of the Lord your God. Consider what the Lord your God has to say about this situation. 
they weren't able to relate to the father, but they felt like they could relate to Joshua who was standing right there in front of them. Are y'all catching, picking up what I'm putting down this morning? Because we have entire populations of Christians and even some of this, some of us right here in this room who have made it a lifestyle for it to be acceptable for us to come and think so lowly and poorly of ourselves when all that was required is that we would come to Joseph, that we would come to Joshua in each of these two situations or Jesus himself and be like, I have been an enemy. In fact, that's my city you're about to steamroll, right? Like here in just a minute. That's my city you're about to steamroll. And I, I, I see that, you are, that God is with you. And I am for you and I'm for your God. And I want to serve your God the way that you are serving your God. So let's do this thing together. Guys, this is a huge mentality switch from everything that, like, even if you feel like you've been overcoming some of these things, Kendall and I have been digging through our hearts. Me and Pastor Mike and Pastor Devin have been digging through our hearts and we're finding this stuff, this junk left over in us from years past and this and some of the things in this land have just drawn up back to the surface to where we're seeing it on each other and thank God that he's allowed these symptoms to be displayed because he's letting us treat what's going on according to his word and according to his mercy in Joshua chapter 9 says um, Joshua should have recognized and forbid that they would come and be with them. You know how I know that he should have recognized that? This is important right here. Y'all still with me? Joshua should have recognized that they were fooling him and he should have forbid their involvement with them. Not to be exclusive and say, hey, you brokenhearted people, like y'all aren't perfect, so get out of here. It's that we are not on the same mission, not even a little bit. And so if you want to survive, that's one thing. But to consider yourself one with what God's doing here, not, not possible. You know how I know that is because we just read the word worn out four times and they faked it. They thought that relating to the people of God looked like being miserable and poor and broken down. Why didn't they come in royalty and in robes and be like, this is a royal people, a people of power and authority. So I'm going to come and dress myself up to look like them. They came and presented themselves as miserable and worn out with stale bread. What do you think the people of God were looking like in that moment? That that's how they had to come and look relatable. They, they looked like warriors. They looked like they had just had some victories, but they still looked like a miserable people. I believe because of right here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Verse 4, Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell or your sandals wear out these 40 years. We, so, we can so easily, though we are being delivered out of slavery into a promise, we can so easily get into this mindset that it's been miserable. My years have been short and miserable, and they do not attain to that of my father's. 
We can get trapped in that mindset, though he's been delivering us out of a place where we originally had an abundance, we just lost sight of it, and he's delivering us into an abundance again. He is literally taking them from the glory of Goshen to the glory of Canaan, from glory to glory, and they are miserable. They become miserable in Goshen, they become miserable in the wilderness, and they, then they become miserable in the land of Canaan. Who do you think the problem is? Is it the God that's putting you in bad circumstances, or is it that your attitude sucks? Y'all, this is, I know. (laughs) Joshua should have recognized it and not found anything relatable with these people. Why did Joshua not recognize the Gibeonites, though he gave them, um, though he gave an effort to inspect it even? I believe there was a familiarity with something he saw in them which was weariness. I believe Joshua, who is at best a foreshadowing of Jesus, but certainly no Jesus at all, had a weariness in him from the journey that he allowed to commiserate upon with with the Gibeonites, though they were fooling him. It wasn't even real weariness. They were just faking it. Upholding covenant with these falsely weary enemies turns into placing men who are enemies in the place of influence within the congregation. What two jobs did they get? What two jobs did these men, these Gibeonites, these enemies who presented themselves as weary travelers get? They get to cut the wood which is used to stand up the, the structure of the tabernacle. And they get to cut the wood for the fire that burns on the altar. And then they get to draw water for the cleansing of the priest. And they get to draw water for all of the people to drink from. Y'all, the first, about a year to two years ago, I was reading this. And I had the mentality, because it's the only lens that I had, was, oh man, that's me. I'm a Gibeonite. I'm an enemy of God that should have gotten wiped out. I don't deserve anything. And if I can just fool him, maybe I'll get a good spot in his kingdom. That is not at all what God's been teaching us these past weeks. So is it a good thing or is it a bad thing that Joshua was fooled? It was, a, it was not a good thing. This is not a display of the mystery of the taking in of the Gentiles. That was displayed whenever Egyptians chose to leave their homes in Egypt and escape to Canaan with the people of Israel. That is the mystery of the Gentiles being brought in. This is not. This is more like the book of Jude that says to beware of those men who are, who are grumblers and fault finders. And, it's, and Jude writes that they are reefs. The word is interesting. In my Nazbi it says reefs and in some of you it says something else. But it's a word that is used very metaphorically in the Greek, and it's something that if your ship is heading towards it, it'll hit it and it'll rip you to pieces. These are the men who are put in place of cutting wood for the tabernacle, wood for the fires on the altar, and drawing water out for the refreshing of the saints. How many pastors in positions of authority, how many elders in positions of authority, are walking around giving good, refreshing words to people, but actually have no life in them at all and are enemies. It's hard to tell anymore. We've let the Gibeonites dress up among us everywhere, and it's toxic. 
this isn't for us to become more exclusive and more critical of the world. It's just, it's for us to recognize that we were chosen by him. We were beloved by him. And the same love that has been extended to us, we have to extend to others. But we also are not able to relate with their weariness anymore. It should be confusing to us that someone would walk into the room with us and claim to be a Christian and sit there and try to share stories of their most difficult times in their life with us. That should be a confusing conversation for us. Like, why are you talking about how miserable your life has been with me? Because I'm in Christ, and it's amazing. It might be difficult, but it's amazing. It's wonderful. We have been given a land called drawing near, and yes, it requires work. Work is not miserable. You are miserable whenever you don't believe that God is in the work that you're doing. John 15 says, this is my commandment, <laughs> that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one this, than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends when you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves. Let's go, For the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask in the, in the name of my, uh, in, ask of the, the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you that you love one another. There were two populations of people that we see in these stories between Genesis 47 and Joshua chapter 9. There are two populations of people. There are those like Joseph's brothers at first, the Egyptians, and then also the Gibeonites who come and try to live in a transactional lifestyle with the one who is giving them an abundance their entire lives and they never get it. And so they never get to live in it. They don't understand what he's doing because they consider themselves slaves. When Jesus has already spoken to us, I do not consider you a slave. I consider you my friend. Hebrews says that we, he is a brother to us and that he is not ashamed to call us brothers. That's even another upgrade on top of a friend. At one point, I was friends with Landon. And now I am brothers with Landon. And it becomes an inseparable relationship that I have with many of you here in this room, that is an upgrade even from there. So John 15 was amazing, and Hebrews gave an even further revelation of it. Brothers with Jesus. Not the pesky little servants that he had to save because his dad was going to kill the whole world. Man. The brothers of Joseph and all of the house of Jacob were chosen by God. Those who think they can choose him are like the Gibeonites. Hear that. Their language indicates that they are there to serve Joshua and the people, but not their God. 
They are willing to give all they have to live another day, but will always remain servants and slaves and never sons. If you are recognizing right now today that you have had some of that mentality in you, you know what I'm talking about? If you've had some of that mentality in you that, okay, I I see it in my actions, and even though I wasn't thinking it, I've been behaving this way, and I can see it now. I have walked or thought or behaved like a slave in exchange, in a transaction for nutrition from heaven. Then you have to consider that maybe you've come to him as a Gibeonite and not as a son of Jacob or a son of Israel. Maybe you thought that for a moment, maybe I've thought for a moment that we could actually choose him and we would be saved by it. But where are you now? Are you weary every day? Are the defining characteristics of your life your weariness? Or are the defining characteristics of your life the cities that are falling because of your faithfulness? That's you, church. That's me. This is what we're called to live in. Bold statement here, guys. You can, as if we're short on those today, you cannot be weary or remain weary from the point of your acceptance of the glory that you were chosen by him. And you, you cannot remain in weariness or be in weariness and actually be walking in the full revelation of your sonship. It's impossible. They don't go hand in hand together because a son of God can be in the worst of circumstances. A son of God can be like Jesus, the son of God, on a cross being crucified three nails through different bones and ligaments of his body, bleeding with a spear on your side and a crown of thorns and a whole crowd mocking you, all of which not a single one of us in this room have ever experienced anything like that and still know you're winning. Sons of God aren't weary. They might hurt. It might really hurt. It might really be painful. It might actually, you might spill some blood, but you're not weary. It's not a defining characteristic of any of us. Colossians 1.19. Yeah. Colossians 1.19 says this, For it is the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly, formerly alienated. So there is hope for the Egyptians. There is hope for the Gibeonites. There's even hope for the sons of Israel who don't understand their sonship and their brotherhood with, uh, with Joseph. There, are hope, there is hope for those people. But there's not an allowance to stay that way whenever you've been taken in. In verse 21, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he now has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. At what part in those couple of verses I just read did it say that then you turned around and did enough good deeds to be considered holy and blameless and without reproach? They came to a place called Gilgal where reproach had been rolled away. 
If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Suffering might be a real thing, but it doesn't mean there's weariness in it. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I do my share on behalf of this body, which is the church, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. How has it been manifested to his saints? Was it just that revival that happened down in Florida? Was it just the revival that happened up there in Toronto or in wherever, Carolina, wherever? Was it a miraculous event, signs and wonders that did it? No. To whom God... That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past generations, but has been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known that which is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I also I labor. There's still work. It's just not wearisome. Striving according to his power. His power, not mine, not my abilities, not my anything. His power, which mightily works within me. Guys, I'm, a, I'm approaching close to a completion here. And I want to make sure that you are getting these things today. Make sure you're taking note of each one of these things. We are removing this mentality of a slave, beggar, or weary traveler from our body. It's not allowed anymore. If you walk in this room and you have that, you are going to receive a huge hug from somebody and told, you are beloved by God and by me, and you have no reason to be weary today. Amen. It's been hard, I know, but he is more than enough. We're being emboldened today to live like those chosen by Joseph to take the best of the land and become a great nation here in this land and take dominion over the earth just as God instructed it in Genesis. We are learning today how to recognize the weariness that remains within us and that we cannot relate, that we cannot relate nor commiserate with those who are weary for we have nothing in common. We're being reminded today that this place has been called a graveyard of ministries and ministers of the gospel, but, and that we have found this infection within us, but that Matthew 7 shows us that it can be uh, that, well, let's just turn to Matthew chapter 7. I'm getting ahead of myself here, and it's something really good I want y'all to see. I said I was getting close to a close. I, I think so. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7 look at verse 24 therefore everyone who hears these words of mine Jesus says and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock hey we've all heard this story before plenty of times 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. It's interesting. There's the same famine in Canaan as there is in Egypt. There's the same storm on the house that's built on the rock as the house that's built on the sand. Yet one stays standing and the other one doesn't. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for they saw that he was teaching with authority. Now think about this for, one, for a minute, because I've, I've heard it said recently that the house that was built on the sand and the house that was built on the rock, y'all still with me? The house that was built on the sand and the house that was built on the rock were actually built on the same substance. You're like, what? Like, no, one was built on the sand and one was built on the rock. The only difference is, is that one might be strong and be able to withstand such things, and the other one is just a fractured version of the other one. You're built on the same substance, but the, the, but the way that it's formed together with what you're built on it conforms to the pressure. Have you ever walked on, on sand? You ever see the way that the sand comes up around your toes and, and that when the water washes up, it moves with it? One conforms to the pressure and the movement of its natural surroundings, and the other one, like the ones that I ran into while I was kayaking yesterday, did not budge not even an inch whenever I ran into them. Water is washing over them all day, every day, year after year after year after year. And I am smacking into these rocks over and over again with my kayak, and it doesn't move. Church, we have, we have to recognize that sometimes we say the right language. We've been in church, most of us, for most of our lives. And we come and we say the right language. God, I want to sacrifice for you. God, I want to serve you. God, just let me be a servant in your house. God, I want to be fed by you. God, I will exchange everything for what you have. It's the same ingredients. It's the same words that Israel has to say and that Egypt has to say and that Gibeonites have to say, but they mean completely different things. That we can show up in church every Sunday and make cry out to God and make ourselves a servant to him or a servant to a pastor or to a leader in this church or in our one association, but it doesn't make you a son. The difference here is, is that those that the rock there is that that rock that's built on is Christ and Christ came to bring together sons. He didn't come to come and make slaves and servants out of everyone. He came to bring back the sons of God to God, the revealing of them that we read about in Romans chapter eight, that the whole world's waiting for. So what's the difference? One is that we are walking into sonship and we immediately understand our value here. It's, I don't know, it's as high as I can reach. I'm short. Our value is immediately here, but we don't mind the world thinking that we're right here because we know who we really are. 
But in reality, most of us are coming and it's shifty and it's shallow and we come right here and we're like, God, I promise I won't try to push any higher if you just let me slip in and I'll stay right here. There's one that's a shifty foundation that moves and it conforms to its environment and another one that is confident, but they're made of the same chemical substance. Is it not important that we are built on, built on the rock and not on the sand? We see here in Matthew chapter 7 that there are two foundations. And the Holy Spirit was showing me yesterday that one of them succumbs and one of them succumbs to the pressure elements, whereas the other one sub, sub, uh, one is not easily succumbed to the pressure of the elements, whereas the other succumbs and conforms to it. Let's, let's rethink Matt, Micah chapter 4 today before we close out. I'll turn back to Micah chapter 4. We'll end there today. Say, let's Goshen when you get there. <laughs> Micah chapter 4. I want us to read more than just those two or three verses that I read earlier. This will be our last passage today, so I need you to focus with me. Micah chapter 4, verse 1. And it will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and people will stream to it. It's like a city on a hill. Many nations will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant lands. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Though all the people walk in the name, each walk in the name of his God. As for us, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Though all the people walk in the name of their Lord, we will walk in the name of Adonai. We will walk in the name of Yahweh, our God, of Yeshua. I will make the lame in that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather the outcast. Even those whom I have afflicted, I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a what? A strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now and forever. As for you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. Even the former dominion will come. The kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. He has to include that because the inheritance of what they're receiving is the entire earth. And he's like, hey, and surprise, even Jerusalem is yours. It says, there you will be, uh, writhe, uh, I'm sorry, verse 9. Now, why do you cry out loudly, remnant church? Why do you cry out loudly? Or why do you grumble under your breath? Is there no king among you? 
Is there no king among you? Why do you cry? Why do you grumble? Or has your counselor perished? Is there not King Yeshua among you? Yes, he's here. And is, has your counselor left you? No, your counselor has not left you. Though many try to doctrinally prove it to, to prove why their bad attitude every day is acceptable. Even is there no king among you or has your counselor perished? That agony has gripped you like a woman in childbirth. Writhe in labor to give birth, daughter of Zion, like a woman in childbirth. For now you will go out of the city, dwell in the field, and go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. And now many nations have been assembled against you who say, Let her be polluted and let her eyes gloat over Zion. Let our, our eyes gloat over Zion, like that of the Gibeonites. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, and they do not understand his purposes. For he has gathered them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, daughter of Zion. Arise and thresh, daughter of Zion. For your horn I will make iron, and your hoofs I will make bronze, that you may pulverize many enemies, many peoples, that you may devote to the Lord their unjust gain and their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Guys, Micah chapter 4 did not call a single one of us to bring in the lame and the brokenhearted and the weary and commiserate with them. We have nothing in common. You should feel like you have nothing in common. The abundance that we've seen even circumstantially recently. We've had new jobs. We've had bank accounts get filled up. We've had needs met. We've had miraculous healings. I almost, I had a I, should, I had an allergic reaction the other day that I should have been hospitalized from, and I, it was stopped right in its tracks. We have had circumstantial thing after reason after reason after reason to believe that we are in Goshen, but what if we had actually believed it the whole time? See, I'm trying to say to you today that, yes, things will be difficult. We do have enemies, and there are people out to shut this thing down. But what's going to keep them from being able to do that is not us hiding our, our fire under a bowl so that they don't come and try to mess with us because we're just going to be the little remnant hidden back in the woods on the loop here in Denton, Texas. No, you are a city on a hill in Micah 4 that many nations stream to. There will, God will do such works in remnant church among you that we will have people from other countries show up on our property and heard that God is moving mightily here. And then we're going to be like, well, take us back to your family. We want to tell them all about it, too. Let's make it happen there, too. Guys, this is who we are called to be. Y'all stand up with me. We're going to victoriously proclaim and praise God on our way out today. Come on, we are reestablishing our mission to get today to gather the lame and weary, but not accept them remaining as such. God has not left us as such, and we will not accept each other continuing to be that. I love you guys too much, and he has loved me too much to allow me to continue in the misery I've been living in. He has given us a land where we can draw near to him. He has given us his Holy Spirit, his counselor. The king is among us. And we have no reason to be perishing in heart. Y'all raise your hands with me. 
God, we are proclaiming victory among your people today, even among ailments and sicknesses today, even among flesh that is tired, God, and hasn't slept enough and feels sick. Right now, today, God, we say that in all circumstances, your people are victorious. Whether we're in the land that we are eventually going to, or we are in the land here of Goshen, a land where that seems far away from your promise, but it's really a land where you're drawing near to us. God, we say that we are victorious in all circumstances. God, we say that we are excited to go and labor in the fields of Goshen where you have given us. For your nearness to us is not a lack of work. It's just a lack of weariness. It's a lack of striving. It's where we can thresh, God. It's where we can uproot the weeds. It's where we can take out the rocks. It's where we can plant the seed you've given to us. And we believe, God, we believe, Lord, that you will make the fruit grow. That if we till the ground, if we plant the seed, if we water it, God, if we are faithful to do these things, that, God, you will make it grow. So, Lord, we say we trust you today. And we say that we are done with our frustration. We are done with our weariness. And, God, we are today settling with our flesh and saying that you are no longer allowed to commiserate with others. You are no longer allowed to stand in the glory of God and also continue to be here with me. So God, we say, let these things be broken off by your name, Jesus. Let these things be broken off of this church today, God, that there might be a Christ in us, the hope of glory among nations, that we might be a city set on a hill, that we might have a home with light in them like those in Goshen, God. We say, let this be an abundant people. Let this be a great nation that is growing here, God, though, where we will see the nations of this world come and turn to you because of your glory being displayed in your saints right here in this room. God, we say we love you and we thank you for what you have done for us and are doing for us, God. We love you and in Jesus' name.